Well, good morning. I'm so glad that you're here today. Thank you for joining us this morning at Mile Straight. Uh, if you haven't already, if you would reach into your bulletin, you'll find a study guide there. Take it out. And feel free to grab a clipboard and a pen from the book rack. I think that will help you as you take notes and uh, follow along. One thing that I would love for you to correct right off the bat. If you look at your study guide, it most likely says, because I sent it incorrectly uh, to be to be printed, it most likely says that today we're going to be covering chapters 8 through 18. That's not right. You know, we're going to cover chapter 6 verses 8 through 18 instead. Uh, I do not have enough wind to cover 11 chapters, nor do I have enough energy. And on top of that, I'm hungry and would never make it through it. So, Last Sunday night, going into Monday morning, I was, uh, I was up for quite a bit of the night, and I started doing what I typically do when that happens. I started studying, and I got to a point in my study where uh, I felt, okay, I'm, I'm very distracted, this is not going anywhere, and so I did what I would typically do in that situation. I backed off for a while, started doing something else. And in this particular case, what I started doing was I opened up an app that's just called Notes. And uh, I started reading back through my notes. Now, you got to understand, when you have a bad memory, you write notes so that you remember what you need to remember. So in that, I found grocery lists. I found uh, things I needed to tell people, things I needed to get people to do. I found to-do lists for myself. I found a list of items that I needed to take on trips. I found, uh, you know, you name it, and it was in there. And on top of that, I also found a lot of, uh, of, of notes and outlines for different passages of Scripture that uh, God had impressed my heart with. And I had written down little, little thoughts or little tidbits or full outlines on it. I also would include in those outlines sometimes things that I had heard or had read, something that spoke to me in a, in a very specific way. I would write those outlines down with the thought that later on I'm going to go back and fill those outlines in and, and do a little research on them. Such is the case with where we are this morning. I, I was going back through that, deleting some, leaving others, and... Uh, I must have been doing it for quite a while because I'd made my way all the way back to April of 2014 in those notes. And I ran across our outline for today there. And as I read the outline, I thought, wow, that's, that's just what I needed to hear. And so I moved it from my notes file over to my documents file and I started studying, researching a little bit. And... Uh, putting a little more meat to it and, and filling in the outline a little bit. I, I have to admit, to my shame, I do not know if the outline is original to me or if it was one that I heard or read somewhere and put in. I have no problem with using someone else's outline. If it speaks to me, I have no problem using that. But I like to at least give them credit for it. And uh, so... 
If someone else had this outline, I'm sorry, I certainly didn't mean to infringe on your brilliance, but uh, I, I probably have. I, um, I looked at the outline, and I figured, based upon the fact that it's a little bit um, weak, I mean, the outline itself is a little, a little shabby. I figured that it probably is mine because when I'm just looking at a passage and I'm jotting stuff down, I'm not trying to alliterate or, or do any of that stuff. I'm just putting thoughts down. And so I thought probably it is mine, so probably I'm safe. But just in case, I'll, I'll just be honest with you. You're going to get it in the shabby form this morning because that's what spoke to me as I read it. And so I just decided I'm leaving it the way it is. But I think it's going to prove to be extremely helpful. Uh, I think so because I know that there's a lot of fear and worry and anxiety in our lives. You know, for some, it may be that it's a rare occasion that circumstances just happened and it's brought an overwhelming fear in your life. You may be in the middle of that right now. You may be caught up in something that has brought so much worry and so much stress to you, so much anxiety that you just, you just don't, you feel so overwhelmed, you don't know what to do with it. Now I want you to know that our study today, I believe, is going to prove to be incredibly helpful for you. For others, you may be in the situation where, you know, this is a routine thing for you. It's, it's an ongoing process. You, you find yourself caught up with fear or worry or anxiety, stress, whatever the case may be, uh, on a revolving time scale. You know, you, you're in and you're out. You're in, you're out. You're in, you're out. In, you're out. I think the thoughts that we're going to uncover in our passage today are thoughts that are going to bring you a lot of comfort and a lot of help as you face these rotating times of fear and anxiety and worry. And so, based upon that, I'm very excited to share this information with you. And where would we start? Well, I want to read to you, first of all, this particular passage of Scripture. I want to read down through verse 15. We'll cover the other verses then as we move forward. But I want to give you the background on the story. You have those verses listed for you. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 18. We're actually only going to cover down through verse 17 this morning. But here we find the story. What an amazing story. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. And he consulted with his servants saying, my camp will be in such and such place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. In other words, this happened quite frequently. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. 
So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And, and his servant said to him, said to Elisha, Alas, my master, what shall we do? What in the world are we going to do? My question for us this morning is, well, are you protected? Are you protected? I mean, when you're facing life, when you're facing difficulties, when you're facing problems, when you feel overwhelmed with fear, with, with grief, with, with, uh, with anxiety, are you protected from that which is bringing the fear, the, the grief, the anxiety? Are you protected from those things? If you've got your note sheet ready, write this down if you would. Number one, we're going to see that someone didn't bring enough soldiers. Someone didn't bring enough soldiers. Now here we're talking about the king of Syria. Let me walk you back through the story, okay? Because some of that is a little bit of, a, of, a, of an oversight of what's taking place. And I want to fill in some of the details. And I even want to give you some of my own imaginary thoughts that I believe is taking place in the process of this story. So the king of Syria does not like the king of Israel, and as a result, he's, he's pronounced war upon Israel. And it appears that the king of Syria has the advantage that he has a stronger army, and therefore Israel, to some extent, is running a little bit scared from the king of Syria. The king of Syria, understanding the patterns of the king of Israel, and here's where I'm inducing a little bit of my thought process, understanding the patterns of the king of Israel, begins to lay out a plan by which he is going to go and he's going to lay in wait, he's going to hide out and be ready for the king of Israel so that when the king of Israel comes by, they will jump out of their hiding place and attack this portion of the king's army and they will eliminate them right there on the spot. Therefore, bit by bit, it, reducing the army of Israel until it's manageable and they can eliminate their enemy. The king of Syria talks to his servants, to those his, of his advisory board, his, his panel of, of military experts, and he tells them, he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set up camp here and we're going to hide out and we're going to attack the king of Israel when he comes through. And we're going to we're going to systematically eliminate his army. But the king of Syria had a problem of which he was not aware. The problem was that there was a guy in Israel who was a prophet of God who was hearing everything he said. The king of Syria's servant said he's, he's getting this information and he's telling the king of Israel the things you say in the most protected place in all of the kingdom, your very bedroom. It was impossible for Elijah, Elisha rather, to know what the king of Syria was saying in his bedroom. There were guards stationed at the doors. There were guards walking around the palace. No one was getting in. No one was getting out without them being aware of it. There was no way Elisha was sneaking up to the door and listening and then running to report what was being said. 
It's baffled the king. He was, he, he was in a state of disbelief of what was happening. And so he called his servants and he said, tell me, which one of you is betraying me? Which one of you has been paid off by the king of Israel? I want to know. We've got to deal with this. His servant said, none of us, O king. It's Elisha. God's telling him everything you're saying, even in your bedroom. The king of Syria gets a little bit cocky here, in my opinion. And he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and find out where this guy is so that I can go and get him. Now, he wasn't going and getting him for tea. He wasn't wanting to go and pick him up and bring him in and have a good chat with him and try to convince him, hey, please don't tell the king of Israel that stuff anymore. No, he was intending to go and get him and kill him. Here was his leak. Here was the problem he was facing. He couldn't carry out his military plan, which was genius, because there was a guy who was finding out everything he said from God and telling his opponent. And so he gathers what verse 14 says is a great army. Now why was it so specific it was a great army? Because it was overkill. I mean, it was absolutely, from a human perspective, overkill. There was no need for them to gather so many soldiers, so many chariots as they did, to go and capture this one single man. I mean, the army that they took was so great that they completely surrounded this city. Completely surrounded. So that anywhere you looked, there were soldiers. There were chariots. And yet the person they were going to get was not a warrior. He was not a, uh, a person who was well-skilled in martial arts. He was a prophet. He was probably five foot six and weighed 272 pounds. He was a prophet. And so there really wasn't that big of a threat To the king of Syria. And yet the king of Syria took an entire army to get this one guy. Now here's where I go off speculating a little bit. Please allow me a little freedom. I believe that when people started getting up that day, they looked out and saw this army and they were petrified. I mean, can you imagine how overwhelming that sight would be. This little bitty city had no means of protecting themselves from such an army. There was no way they could withstand it if this army decided to attack. There was no way. They were good as dead. And I believe that someone probably went to uh, the, the representative of the king and said, Why, why are you doing this? I mean, we've never once attacked you. We've never caused you any damage. We've, we've never intent, been intent upon harming you in any way. Why are you gathered here with such a huge army to eliminate us? What is this all about? And I believe the representative probably said, we're only here for one person. One person. You bring him out to us, we'll turn and march away. 
And we will not trouble you anymore. One person. So when Elisha's servant got up, this young protege of, of Elisha got up, he went outside, he saw what was taking place, and in panic and fear, he asked someone, what in the world is this all about? And they said, it's your master. They're here for him. And, and I got some news for you. Everybody in the kingdom is saying, let's give him to them. Talking about a reason for fear. Hey, this little guy ran back in to his master and he said, Elisha, what are we going to do? Now, from a human perspective, the circumstances were overwhelming. From a human perspective, you would look at what was, what was transpiring there around their city, and, and you would think, these guys are doomed. I mean, it's, if not the whole city, at least Elisha. I mean, he's a goner if anything begins to happen. And yet, the truth of the story, as we're going to unveil as we continue to move on, was that it was the king of Syria who was really in trouble. It was the king of Syria who didn't bring enough men. His confidence and his hope was solely based upon his army. He thought that he had it made. He brought this great army to ensure that there would never be a single problem. And yet what we find out is that he did not bring enough soldiers. <laughs> the second thing we see, number two, is that someone really didn't need to worry after all. Someone didn't need to worry. And who was that? Well, it was Elisha's servant. He was worried, wasn't he? I mean, he was petrified. He was scared out of his mind. And, and honestly, just being truthful with you, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. Because now, this little guy knows that the entire city is against them. We're not going to try and fight and protect you because that would be worthless. We would just all die in the process. It's much better that we just give you up and... And push you out the gate and say farewell to the soldiers that are outside. than for all of us to be destroyed. And this is where he comes to Elijah and he says, what are we going to do? Elijah in verse 16, he says, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Can you imagine if you were that servant hearing that? He's standing there and he's looking around and he's thinking, no, that's not right. There's two of us here and I'm not so sure when it all comes down that I'm still going to be on your side. <laughs> and you're saying there's more of us than them. I mean, two, two, count. One, two, let's count off. One, two, two. And yet you look out at this vast army. In verse 17, Elijah does something that's never recorded again in Scripture. Anyone else having done something like this? Elijah prayed and said, Lord, 
I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Can you imagine? These people weren't there a minute ago. And now all of a sudden, God takes the blinders off, the spiritual blinders off of this servant, and he looks up on the mountain, and the mountain is filled with the army of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, this little petty army that's down here around the city seems pretty insignificant. It really begins to seem as if you're kind of like the fly on the elephant. You're not as big as you thought you were. I would have loved to have seen the servant's face. Uh, to me, that would have been one of those, <laughs> I got to see this type moments. For him to have been petrified out of his mind. Scared beyond belief. And all of a sudden, his eyes are opened. And that which seemed hopeless, all of a sudden, blooms with hope. <laughs> because there is, in fact, an army that is much greater than the enemy that is before them. And that army is there to protect one man. Elisha. How incredible. But now lest we feel we're left out of this mix, number three, someone else didn't need to worry either. Someone else didn't need to worry either. Now when we first started, we were talking about the king of Syria. He didn't bring enough soldiers. Then we move to the servant of Elisha. He really didn't need to worry. But now we kind of leave the story for a minute to come to the place to where we look at us. We really have no need to worry either. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you're facing your greatest fear? Now, I want you to think of what that is. Greatest fear, the thing that brings you the most concern, the most worry. Put that in your mind. I'm not going to ask you to share it. Don't worry about that. But just put this in your mind for a second. What is that fear? Maybe you're facing it right this minute. Maybe you just faced it, or maybe you see it coming. What is that fear? What is that, that, that anxiety in your life? What is it? Wouldn't it be great if... While facing that fear, I mean, there it is. It's overwhelming. It's like this huge army around you. You don't know what to do. You don't know how you're going to get out of the set of circumstances in which you find yourself. If someone came and stood beside you with authority from God and said, you know what? Looks pretty bad, doesn't it? Yeah, looks, looks worse than bad. But you really don't need to fear. Because those that are with you are far greater than those that are standing against you. 
Your thought may be, oh, <laughs> I'm not a prophet. I'm not five foot six and weighs 272 pounds. I'm not that guy. And even if you happen to fit that, I'm sorry. Um, but you're not that prophet guy, right? You know, those are the things that happen for prophets. Those are the things you might think that happen for pastors or for, or for deacons. Or... And yet, let me read a verse to you. I wish you'd write this reference down. Psalm 34, 7. Psalm 34, 7. I wish you would, would write this out and put it on your refrigerator and read it every single morning. David writes here, The angel of the Lord encamps around, all, excuse me, the angel of the Lord encamps all around, indicating completion. There are no gaps. Indicating that he is fully protective. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. It's not to say there will not be problems. It's not to say there will not be difficulties. It's not to say that we won't sometime lose what it seems to be the battle. It's not even to say that there may not be something that brings death. We have an incredible promise that says, regardless of what the circumstances look like, I'm there. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm there. And you say, well, wait a minute, Tom. Got to be a catch to that. I mean, that surely couldn't apply to me. Uh, and you know what? You're... You might be right. David doesn't say the angel of the Lord encamps around all those, period. <laughs> Everyone. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say even that the angel of the Lord encamps around all people who call themselves Christians. He does add a qualification here. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear God, fear Him. I did a little research to find out exactly what the word fear means here. Because as you read through the Bible, fear is used for different things. In the case of the servant, when Elisha says, do not fear, he's talking about this physical panic. I mean, this, this physical, I'm shaking in my shoes fear. That's what he's talking about. But when we find him saying it here, when we find David saying that the angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him, he's talking about a reverence, a regard with deep respect above all others, to regard one with deep respect above all others, to regard God with deep respect above all others. And quite honestly, that may or may not apply to all of us. Quite honestly, it probably doesn't apply to all of us.
Because unfortunately, we have a tendency to hold other things or other people in a higher respect than we do God when it comes right down to it. Now, please think with me for a second. It may be very hard for you, for you to even think about putting your tithes and offerings in the offering plate this morning. And maybe it's because that's where your confidence is. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to keep this money. I've got to keep this because that's what's going to see me through. Maybe it's really hard for you to talk to someone about Christ because your confidence is in your ability to communicate and you're afraid that you don't have the skills it takes to tell someone about what Christ has done for you. And you've got this respect for yourself and not looking foolish in front of others above being obedient to what God calls you to do. We could go on and on with that, right? I mean, it's true. We're human. We have these, these problems. We have these failures and faults. Please don't anyone sit there and act like you're above that. Maybe you're better at it than others, but none of us are above it. And so it comes down to fearing God, to having this deep respect for Him above all else. And you say, well, I mean, this is a no-brainer. I, I desperately want to know that the angel of the Lord is surrounding me. I desperately want to know that the angel of the Lord is protecting me, that, that I don't have to worry about the circumstances that God's at work in this, and He's for me, and He will deliver me from those things. Desperately want to know that. So then how do I grow to the place to where I truly do fear God, where I reverence Him above all else? You know what it comes down to is really knowing Him above all else. You know, it's an amazing thing. As you dig in the Word of God, and as you learn more about God, as you learn more about His promises, as you learn more about how He, he cares for His own, the way He protects us, the more you know about God, the more confident you become in Him. The more confidence you have in Him, the more you respect Him. So then it comes down to, if I truly want to fear God above all others, then I've got to invest time in His Word. I've got to get acquainted with Him. There's a man sitting in our auditorium right now that, quite honestly... There is, with the exception of my dad, there is no one that I respect more than him. It's Gary Dillo. And I can tell you why. 
because I have watched his life and I have grown to know him more and more over the 20 plus years he's been at Mile Straight. There is no one that is kinder, that is more gracious, that is more loving than Gary Dillo. I've seen it. I've seen his servant's heart. And yet if I had never got to know him, I would have never had this respect for him. So then what do we do with this information? We make an investment. We make an investment in the Word of God. We make an investment on knowing God more. We make an investment on learning about Him, on allowing Him to teach us more about Himself through His Word and through His Spirit in our lives. And as we grow in knowledge, we will also grow in respect. May that be a goal for 2019. That we will get to know God in ways that we have never done before. So that we can have the type of respect for Him that He deserves. And so that as a product of that respect, we will have confidence to know that the angel of the Lord encamps around us because we fear God greatly. So let me ask you a question. It's a question we started with. Come back to it now. Are you protected? Hopefully that question adds a little more significance now than it did at the start. Are you really protected?